I was joking earlier. Yay. And actually, it wasn't a joke. Sometimes this tablet comes up blank. When it comes up blank, I have to put it in the refrigerator to get it to reboot. And I was really glad that didn't happen tonight, so we're good there. <clears throat> Thank you very much for having me here this evening. Uh, I'm going to share with you the work that uh, you supported, that you were involved with, uh, that aided those in Costa Rica. We planted the seed together. We were able to uh, bring new brothers and sisters into the kingdom of the Lord Amen. together. And I appreciate very much his time that I'm going to get to share this with you this evening. As Doug mentioned, I've known him for a few years, though we haven't got to see each other face to face. It's one of those internet relationships. <laughs> and uh, it's something that I've been very much edified by something that strengthens me. Uh, I think you're all very fortunate. He's very fortunate and, and you're very fortunate to have uh, him together to support one another or to him here for you all to support one another. Uh, I look forward hopefully in the future to come and visit and see your growth and see your strengthening uh, of this entire congregation and I, I pray that your work here, uh, though it may not be overseas, you have the same valuable souls here locally that need to hear the word, and so I pray that that is, is very bountiful for you. Costa Rica. Costa Rica, we went to La Fortuna this year. Now, Costa Rica, when you look at it on a map, down pretty far south. This time last month, it was significantly warmer where I was at. Uh, typically, look at Costa Rica, it runs, oh, 70s, 80s, and even 90s when we're down there. doesn't fluctuate much more than that any time of the year, although what does fluctuate is their rainy season. It flat out will pour at times, and unfortunately for us this year, it poured a lot. That meant some uh, interesting, interesting times in, in sharing the gospel. All the roofs there are pretty much tin, and so when you try to speak under a tin roof, you know it can get kind of loud, and that goes both for the sermons and in, in people's homes. Uh, we tended to have, have to go with pretty loud-type voices. <clears throat> Costa Rica is tropical climate, and you will see some interesting things. You're, there you'll see sloths, you'll see iguanas, you'll see monkeys, you'll see uh, some sort of weird chirping lizard that I had in my hotel room all week long. They say the little chirping thing is when it's eating something, and I'm thinking that had to have been one little fat little lizard because it chirped all night long where I was at. Costa Rica is very flat in some areas. Sarchi, Naranjo, Bagasis, where I've preached before, uh, very flat grasslands. And then there are places where they're right on an active volcano. Uh, I gotta get this right, or it won't sound right. Aranal, there I said it correctly. Uh, Aranal Volcano is near La Fortuna where we did our work this year. That area is actually quite hilly. So you've got variations just like you do in the States. Costa Rica is a Spanish-speaking country. Do I speak Spanish? I used to be fluent. Now I am functional, which just means that I can find a bathroom and order hamburgers. Uh, go there. The people are very kind. We typically have interpreters. My wife has studied, and she went with me this year. She's went with me the last two years. She apologizes for not being here tonight. She does have to work in the morning at early, early hours, and she said there is no way she was taking the trip with me. So... 
She's been studying Spanish for about a year. Uh, she's actually doing quite well, and it is a, a big assist for me, uh, as you will hear about as we go along in this lesson uh, tonight. But as far as speaking Spanish, it is to a modicum. Costa Rica is, while it is one of the richer countries in uh, Central South America, the problem is that uh, rich for them is not rich for us. So they earn about $6,000 a year. Their costs of living, however, are very similar to here. For instance, if I go out and eat here, you're looking anywhere, I don't know, maybe eight to twelve dollars a meal same deal there you're going to spend roughly the same so it makes it where they have to a little bit more cost-effective uh, with their budgets the area is a tourist area lots of folks flock down there and they think okay yeah you're going on a mission trip and you're going down to Costa Rica you poor thing it's exciting work it's a wonderful work I would love to stop and see all the touristy things, but that's not why I'm there. That wouldn't be cost-effective for you. It wouldn't be good stewardship on my part, and it wouldn't represent Christianity properly if I spent my time running across the country enjoying the benefits. So we go there, we work. What do folks do there? Typically, they work in plantations. They work on sugarcane plantations. They work on coffee plantations. They work on cacao bean plantations. And what is a cacao bean? It is what they make chocolate from. And that's really kind of cool. Uh, the housing, you'll see some of the housing. I don't think that I really included some of the houses that are nicer. And I apologize because I don't want you to think from the lesson I provide tonight, as you see some of the pictures where we evangelize that the country's run down. Yes, there are some places that are, are pretty poor. Same thing here in the United States. You can go right now up to the Great Lakes, go through Detroit, and you look and say, what happened here? So don't think that that's indicative of all of Costa Rica. They have rich folks, they have poor folks, just like we do here. And sometimes, of course, that, that applies with where they live. The housing, though, you will see, typically it is concrete floors or it's dirt floors. Uh, you will not see air conditioning, but you won't see heaters either. So what you have there is you have open houses. You'll have the walls up and then a big gap in the roof to allow the breezes to come in and out and air the place out. Safety. Uh, if you decide to go to Costa Rica, I think it's a great and it's a safe place. There's really very few times that I've had any concern. I will admit, and I'll talk about it again later, there was one time where a gentleman looked relatively angry at me and he had a machete and I'm thinking, hey, okay, that didn't make me feel comfortable, but that's one time, and I'm sure there are places, again, we can all go in the United States where we may not feel comfortable. Do they have violent crimes? Very few. Do they have theft? They do. They're poor, um, and some folks decide to go that direction in their lives. We once baptized a woman. She wouldn't leave her house to be baptized unless one of us stayed. My son Sterling went with me that year. We locked him in the house went and baptized her and returned because she was concerned about that type of thing. Again, I'm presenting you both sides. There's wonderful things in Costa Rica. There's some not so wonderful things. Why do I do that? Because I want you to understand it's the same as in the United States. We have rich, we have poor. We have a baser side of, of humanity. We have Christianity. <clears throat> Acts 17.22 Paul stands in the middle of the Areopagus, and he says, Men and brethren, uh, I or perceive that you are very religious. 
Costa Ricans are very religious. In fact, you, you'll find that 70% of the population is religious and that they are Catholic. Catholicism is the state religion of Costa Rica. Now, it doesn't mean they're the only folks. There are a lot of different uh, religions. Uh, but Catholicism is the main one. The second largest would be Jehovah's Witnesses. Now, Jehovah's Witnesses believe things such as Christ is God. They believe in an eternal earth. And then we have some evangelicals also that you're going to bump into. Faith only. Baptism is a statement of faith. And, of course, premillennialism. When you go there, you encounter those doctrines. Where else are you going to encounter them? You're going to encounter them here in the United States. All the same. So a lot of what we prepare for here, we can put into action there as well. Now, the team that I go with is this wonderful, beautiful group here. Very handsome gentleman in the middle on the bottom. <clears throat> They're a wonderful group of people. I've been going out with this team for five years. Uh, all preachers and elders. My wife, by the way, is the one in the ball cap on the far. You're right. April. This is the team I work with. We typically break off into twos, though we will, uh, of course, take some along some of the local congregation, which may bump our groups up to three and four. More on that as we go. What is our daily routine like when we're in Costa Rica? Typically, if you're in Costa Rica and you're on a mission trip, we get up uh, five o'clock, six o'clock in the morning. Depends on how my wife thought when she first went up there, she would wear makeup. It's humid. Everything runs. She doesn't do that. Uh, now she gets up a little later, pulls the hair in a bun, and we're good. But typically we get up 7 o'clock. We're having breakfast. By 8 o'clock we're headed to the church building. Uh, we meet the brethren there. We engage in a devotional that will take about a half an hour. And by 9 o'clock we're ready to go out and start spreading the gospel. Now they have something there. The Costa Ricans are called Ticos. Don't know really where that's come from. They're called Ticos. And they say they live on Tico time. Now, I know that sounds like, like some songs that you may be thinking of. But on Tico time, it basically means you have to understand culturally, if you say something at 9 o'clock, understand they may be there at 9.15, 9.20. Things go a little bit slower there. And that's just fine and dandy. So it's not shocking. If you go there and you're trying to run on American time, you're like, okay, pop, 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 pop. Don't expect it to happen that way, all right? So we go, we do the devotional, we get set to go out, everybody finally gets together, you broke, break off into your groups, you go out and you evangelize. What do we do? We knock doors. Now, understand, when you evangelize, and I'm sure you've talked about in these different classes, you have to figure out what your purpose is. There are different purposes in going out. Sometimes you go out when you door, go out door knocking, you're just there to hand out flyers. You're handing out flyers, perhaps you're promoting a gospel meeting. Okay, that's simple. You may not be focusing on doing Bible studies or whatever. Now, if they happen, great. Okay, there are other times when you're focused on getting those Bible studies and interested in sitting down and taking the time. It's all an approach, and we're going to talk about approach as we go on today. But for the moment, on the schedule, we go out, we knock doors till about 12. The reality is a lot of these Bible studies take a long time. Two to three, three and a half hours of Bible study. You don't see that in America. It's awesome. It is wonderful. So we may not be looking at 12 to get back to lunch. You may be looking at 1.30 most likely, maybe 2 o'clock. But 2 o'clock is when we go back out. 
So you're coming in from your Bible studies. You get a quick bite to eat. The, the local brethren there are, are, are wonderful, and we make certain to have at least one meal with them a day. Here's the reality, and the elders will know, I hope, from seeing the, the report that I provided, that we provide uh, a certain amount of uh, a sum of money for the local brethren for meals while we are there. They like us to spend some time with them. They typically are leaving their jobs during the day to come and help with the work. The women are certainly gone from their homes all day. They don't have much money and they're feeding us. Why? Because we're running out and about and everywhere. They've got brethren or interpreters, which are typically from other countries who have nothing as well. So they're providing our meals in the afternoon. We eat those meals with them, then we go back out. What do we do? We typically work again till about 5 o'clock. We have a gospel meeting every night of the week that we are there. And so that's going to start about 7 o'clock. The problem is you're thinking, okay, I've got to get dinner in there. That's where typically the team, just like breakfast, will have our time together. We'll bounce some ideas off. We'll check how the work is going, that type of thing. And then we're focusing on, on uh, what's going to happen that evening. But when you're looking at a 7 o'clock meeting, the problem is... Costa Ricans in general don't rely on automobiles to travel. They don't have the money for the automobiles. So they either have motorcycles or bicycles or they walk and they never may come into a town. So what you find when you go out and you do the evangelism in another country, you do a lot of going and driving and picking people up and bringing them. So you've got done about five o'clock from doing your Bible studies, great. You scarf down something and then you begin the process of picking up people to get into the building. When you've got these little mini cars that they got there, you're going to get three or four people, bring them to the meeting, you go out, you get three or four more people, so forth. All of a sudden you're fine there at seven o'clock. You go through the meeting, runs till about eight, eight thirty, Chico time, maybe eight forty-five. Eight forty-five, you begin taking people back to their homes. And so what you find is when you got up at 6 o'clock in the morning in Costa Rica to begin your day, that all of a sudden, because the guys are starving because they didn't get to eat dinner beforehand at 5 like you were originally planning, so you get the, meet, the meal after you've taken everybody home, you're eating at 10.30 at night, and you're getting to bed about midnight or so. It's a full day, and it's warm. If you're not used to the warmer temperatures down there, you're coming from here, you're used to our wonderful uh, air conditioning, it's a different environment but it's a blessed environment because the work fuels you all day long. So this year, I did two lessons in the meetings. <clears throat> First off, I talked about how to strengthen the church, and it was a focus on internally. One of the other brothers did one on, on uh, strengthening the church, the church externally. First off, I talked about strengthening through worship. Our worship and the worship that I saw here today must be in spirit and in truth. Much of this world does not worship in spirit and in truth. And so what we present to those visitors coming in Costa Rica and to strengthen that church and, of course, strengthening churches here, it doesn't change. It must be done, spirit and in truth. How do we strengthen the church? We strengthen it through the word. That's where the truth is. How do we strengthen the church? Through love. How do you show love? Well, my brother or sister needs a ride to the doctor. My brother and sister uh, need some work done around their home. My brother and sister need someone to come and hold their hand because there's been a death in the family. My brother or sister has a need. This happens in every single congregation. You strengthen the church by being there for them. You strengthen the church internally through your friendship. That means it's not just when somebody needs something. We get together and have fun. Maybe we go skating. 
We do those things together and we build and we strengthen one another together. The final thing that I talked about while I was in Costa Rica in regard to strengthening the church internally was discipline. Church must practice discipline. We don't like to practice discipline. We don't like the feeling of it, both on the having to share the discipline and the receiving the discipline. But God disciplines us because he loves us and expects us to discipline because we love one another. And that's how you strengthen the church. So that was the first lesson that I spoke about down in Costa Rica. The next was the meaning of the cross. I talked about the meaning of the cross, and it has a great number of meanings to different people. But first off, it's eternal life. When I think of the cross, I think of the eternal life that I have through Jesus Christ. It's also about the restoration of purity. I go along, I'm burdened down by sin, and then it's gone. And I'm pure and holy in the sight of my Lord, just as an innocent child. We see also the meaning of the cross in serving a loving master. We see the meaning of the cross, and there's no longer discrimination. It doesn't matter whether you're male or female or Jew or Greek or whatever you are. We are all one. We are all valuable in Christ our Lord. Meaning the cross means a new law. It means freedom from sin. It means eternal heavenly home. And so that's what I shared with the Costa Ricans. Lessons just like I would share here. Now, it is a little bit different because I may plan a lesson here and say it's going to be 40 minutes, and there I have to plan a lesson for 20 minutes. Why? Because, remember, every word I say has got to be interpreted into Spanish, and that makes it interesting in your dynamics with sharing uh, uh, your, your teachings with that interpreter. <clears throat> Women, you may ask yourselves, okay, where in evangelism is, is my place? How can I help? Should I be concerned about it or is that a guy thing? They go out, you know, we read about it in the Bible and Paul went off and yes, even go back to the Old Testament, uh, uh, Jonah went off and they went off to, to share the message of God. We need women in, in the missionary field. Now, the role is not the same, just as it's not the same in your local congregation, understand that. But there's much that women can do in the missionary field. Most of our Bible studies, as we go through Costa Rica, we come to a home and the men are out working the field. So who are we going to run into? We're going to run into the women in the home. You don't want this face showing up at your door and you're thinking, who is this, this person? Who's this stranger? You're not comfortable immediately, especially if I'm going with another guy. So now I've got two guys in my home as a woman. I'm not comfortable. But ah, if you add a woman in that team, breaks down the barriers, they're comfortable, I'm a little less intimidating, the interpreter is a little less intimidating, and they're willing to invite you in and talk about the gospel of our Lord. I believe really that, that the ideal evangelism team is two to three. Now you see an example in scripture, the Lord sends them out by twos, right? Lord's right, I think, <laughs> I'm not gonna argue with that one. But I think that third member, and specifically a female, is, is very important. Uh, a female, my wife specifically, has thought of things that this brain just doesn't hold in. Uh, she's been able sometimes to convey things better than I am able to do. And the fact is, with the majority of the people that we teach or that we speak to there being women, she's going to relate a little bit better than I'm going to relate. She's going to be able to sit right next to, uh, sit right next to, uh, the person we're studying with, and share the scriptures with her. 
it's a lot more comfortable for her to sit next to a Costa Rican woman than me. And the reality is, and here's a point that I didn't put in my notes, but I just thought of, you're going to run into a little bit different modesty issue. You're talking about a country that's warm. They're going to dress accordingly. And uh, I'll tell you this, from, from having at times also spoken where it's just been myself and an interpreter, two males going to place, sometimes the ladies take advantage of that. And they work to make you feel uncomfortable, to which case you excuse yourself from that situation. But you have to expect that. And truth is, you'll probably bump into that here in the United States as well. As far as, as my wife, she's traveled with me the last three years out, out of five to Costa Rica. She has this year specifically taught two of the kids' classes during the meeting. She's also taught a, a meeting for the women. We need women who can evangelize. You're not going to evangelize to the congregation, but you are going to evangelize to the world through the women that you meet and through proper example that you show. My wife has been indispensable, and so have the other female team uh, members. And the reality is, sometimes when we set up those Bible studies, and it's just a woman, and specifically there or here as well, a woman can go and conduct that, that study without the man anyway. Once they've built that relationship, it might be closer than me sharing. But we have to train up our women for that circumstance. <clears throat> Door knocking. This is one of those instances where I really kind of regret using this picture. Uh, because there are nicer, beautiful homes in Costa Rica. But the truth is, someone lived here. And we almost didn't knock on this door. And it was very valuable because we had a three-hour Bible study behind that door. But a lot of people would just walked on by. In fact, we went, I don't think anyone's in there. Do you think anyone's? I think I hear a sound. Okay, go up and knock on the door. Anyone here? There was someone there. When we think about the United States and we think we're told, what's the fastest growing religion? What pops in your mind? A lot of people say, well, it's Islam. We're told it's Islam. Islam is only the fastest growing by birth, much like Judaism. You were a Jew because you were born as a Jew. Islam is not the fastest growing religion. The two fastest growing religions in the United States, Mormonism and the Jehovah's Witnesses. Why? What could they possibly have that draws? They're not like a lot of folks who, where they have... Well, they're just not like a lot of the denominations. What is it that draws? What are they doing? Who comes to your door? Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons. We used to do that all the time. 1950s, we were the door knockingest people you'd ever want to meet. And the church was growing. And we were sharing book and chapter and verse. And it was awesome. And then we kind of got away from that. I don't know how we did, but we have. And that's not to say that brothers and sisters, and yourselves, don't go out and do it. But I've been all over the United States, and a lot aren't. The church is now smaller than it's been in decades. We declined for the first time ever. The age went up 10 years. We're typically 80% of the churches are 50 people or less, and the average age is senior age. We've got to change, but change according to the scriptures share the word, and grow. Now the atmosphere in Costa Rica sharing the word is much like the United States in this sense. I have less luck sharing the gospel in the city than I do in the country. 
I don't know if that's because folks in the country typically have a little more time or they're just looking for somebody to say hi or they've only got three channels or whatever it is. Actually, Costa Ricans don't watch much TV, but they all have internet. They actually had the smartphone and internet before we did. Really kind of weird. But uh, the folks in the country are more accessible. I'll get no's. Last year I got two no's because we predominantly worked in the country. This year we worked in the city and I got fewer visits and more no's. But there's similarities. We see that even in the United States. That's been my experience. So when was the last time in the United States you did get the chance to go and speak in someone's home for two to three hours? I imagine being able to do that all day long. You're like, wow, we just had a two-hour Bible study. Let's try this house. Okay, we're here two and a half more hours. This is great. Now, the atmosphere may be different. If you go to Costa Rica, didn't put this in my notes, just thought of it. You, you just have to spray down with bug spray. There, there are some, there, there are some, I was telling uh, uh, Doug, I want to just call it, say Keith, who I'm talking about. Keith, my friend Keith Ball just went to India, got bit by a mosquito, died in India a week later. Got the same kind of viruses down in Costa Rica. Same kind of viruses throughout the world. You're going to run in. There's a risk, but we're sharing the gospel and there's a greater reward. Okay, so that being said, why the bug spray? You get houses, the floor is dirt floor. They've got their furniture, a couch. Imagine this, a couch on a dirt floor. My wife would freak, but that's the way it is. And unfortunately, it's open air. You got fleas through the couch. I've sat and just known in a two and a half, three hour Bible study that I'm being eaten alive. But it's a higher calling. It's completely worth it. I know some of you are going, I'm not going to Costa Rica. But it happens. And the truth is, there are even places in the States where it's the same. So, people of Costa Rica, Ecclesiastes 1.9 will say, Indeed, there is nothing new under the sun. The people in Costa Rica are just like the people here. This is Charlie and my friend Noel in the green shirt, who was my interpreter. Uh, Charlie was a great guy. He was Catholic. Not interested in the doctrine, but he sure liked to talk. And we talked together, and guess what? He introduced us to his daughter, and she introduced us to a friend, and we had Bible studies with them. We spread the seed because we were willing to sit and talk with a brother about, or excuse me, with a very religious person, Charlie, about the gospel. Just because somebody's another religion doesn't mean you don't take the time to talk to them. Now, we met some people this year. We got out of the car, went up to see him, nice place, nice home, nice people. Talked to him, said the first thing he said is, we are very, didn't just say we're Catholic, we are very Catholic. And they shut the door and that was that. Guess what, you're going to bump into that here in the States. When I was in Cody, Wyoming, this young girl won our very first door knocking campaign. She knocks on the door, guy opens the door, sees her and slams the door. And she literally sprinted back to her car, scared her to death. Those things happen in the States. They happen in Costa Rica. Met a Jehovah Witness woman who said she had much knowledge of the Bible. How do you deal with that? Because you bump into somebody who's, and I'll probably mention this again, you bump into somebody who's Catholic or Jehovah's Witness or Mormon. They tell you, well, that's my religion. And then typically, okay, and you walk away. No, you don't. You say, tell me about it. This Jehovah Witness woman was so excited to tell me about her religion. And guess what? By 45 minutes in, we were talking about the Bible and only the Bible and she's going oh no one's ever told me that oh I never saw that before oh here's another side story to that this woman and other people that we've met in Costa Rica wherever you go United States Russia Costa Rica Argentina wherever you are 
You're going to have goofy stuff happen to you. This woman fainted in the middle of our Bible study. Had another woman that nearly fainted. We had to carry her groceries home. I mean, this kind of stuff happens. It's a warm place. You have people with health issues, so forth. Happened in the United States. Happened in Costa Rica. Had a girl that we were studying with said, I need to make a big decision. What was her decision? Mm, whether or not to move in with her boyfriend. Now, we'd talked the gospel with her. We'd shared the Bible with her. She said, yep, that's what it says. Yep, that's what it says. Yep, I believe it. Yep, I need to be baptized. But I can't be baptized because I'm not sure if I'm going to move in with my boyfriend. If I move in with my boyfriend, I'll be a hypocrite. So I got to wait. See that same thing in the United States. How many people you've talked to? I've talked to people that say, you know what? Someday, Doug, someday I'm going to come to your church, but I'm not ready to turn my life over to the Lord yet. But someday I will. I want to have a little fun first. Don't play with time like that. I uh, met a man this year who was a former alcoholic. He stopped and knew that that was what God wanted, but he wasn't ready to go to church yet. Met a man who enjoyed listening to the gospel, sat on a bench with him. We talked with him. He seemed super interested. And we're like, hey, why did you come to church with us? My wife doesn't like church. It's heartbreaking when you knock doors and you evangelize, you share the truth, and you see the interest in people, and they just can't commit for whatever reason it is. The biggest, the biggest reason we get in Costa Rica is... My mom and dad, my mom and dad were Catholic. We talked to this one gentleman by the name of Eulalio. Eulalio was a Catholic his whole life. His parents were Catholics. His grandparents were Catholics. He said, everything you are telling me is the truth. The Catholic religion is false. I don't believe in it. I will not follow it. But I can't go to your church because I don't want to defame the memory of my father and my mother. What do you do? Luke 16, Lazarus, rich man, wanted to go back, couldn't. They, even though they passed on, want us to follow the truth. Point is this. There are people all over the world, and a lot of those people have the same exact problems we have in the United States. If you learn how to deal with them here, when you go evangelize there, you can deal with it. If you don't go evangelize there, you can deal with it here. Talk to one another. Work with another. Get out. Teach. Share. Evangelize. You'll be familiar with these problems. When they pop up, you'll be able to deal with them. So my approach to evangelism, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus said to them, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Go ye and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And yea, I'm with you till the end of the ages or end of the earth. When we look at this passage... Christ starts out with, he has all authority. Most of our Bible studies, 90% of our Bible studies, I start with Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I start with the authority of the scriptures. Because the authority of the scriptures is what guides your life. And if a person can grab onto that the scriptures are true, they will follow. This is also, by the way, yours and my authorization to go next door and share the gospel. And to go down the block and share the gospel. And go to the next city and share the gospel. And go to the next county. And go to the next state. And go to the next country to share the gospel. Go 
ye. That's you and that's me. And that is all our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're to go and share the gospel. Why? And under what authority? By the authority that Christ mentioned that he had on heaven and earth. He says make disciples. What is that? Making disciples. Oh, look at the time. This is so not fair. Doug, I told you I was only like 10 minutes and it turned out much longer. We'll keep moving on here though, but I will try to be quicker. So we're going to go ye. We're going to enroll or we're going to make disciples. That term Make disciples. Actually, in the Greek, it means enroll as scholars. What are you going to do? You're going and you're teaching people how to study the scriptures and know the Lord. Know him. Why? Because that's what we need for life and godliness. First Peter chapter, 2 Peter 1 and 3. That's what it is. 1, 1 through 3. So you go and you enroll as scholars. Then you baptize them. Uh, Christ said he didn't come to baptize, but that was ultimately the pinnacle of how you are saved. Baptism now saves us. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, corresponding to the baptism now saves us, not the, not the washing of the filth away from the flesh, but the appeal of a good conscience to God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Again, we have the authority. We reach the pinnacle of salvation through baptism. How? Because we've enrolled them as scholars so they know the truth. They hear the word, Romans 10, 6, 6, 16. That doesn't sound right. 17, thank you. Bless your heart. A faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So they're baptized. And then they're baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then what do they do? They uh, go forward and they observe all that Christ commanded. What is that? That's they operate by the authority which Christ gave. Operating the authority is so important. Now we come to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, 17. If we're doing this study wherever you may be in this entire world and you're talking about authority and you're trying to convert, 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, all scriptures inspired and suitable for doctrine, for reproof. That is such a goofy Nate word because we think of reproof and we think of, oh, we're reproving somebody. No, this reproof is the only reproof found in two different places in the Bible. Hebrews chapter 11 and, and this one here. In Hebrews chapter 11, faith is the foundation of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That is the exact same word in 2 Timothy. So what do we have with scripture? We have it suitable for doctrine, for evidence for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So you tell them, look, we're going forth. This is why we're here today. This is why we're sharing the word under the authority of the Lord. We're giving you the Bible, which is suitable for all these different things to make you a complete man in the Lord. This is the gospel that is once for all delivered, Jude chapter 3. This is the gospel, implanted gospel, implanted word that is able to save souls in James 1 and 21. And you go from there and you begin to build this evidentiary uh, uh, faith because our faith isn't blind. It's built on evidence. That's what Hebrews 11.1 1 says. You build it and they strengthen and they believe in the Bible. That's how you can share them the things that they are to observe as Christians. Now, you can go another route. And you go to Matthew 16 18. You can find out that there is one church. It's Christ's church. It's built on the rock, which is the confession that Jesus is the Son of God. And accumulating once again in baptism, you can tell them, have you ever heard of the churches of Christ? Romans 16 16 will tell you what those churches of Christ are. And then you can show people how they're entered into it, how they are saved according to Acts 2 and 47. They're added to the church following what? Repentance and baptism as they're in Acts 2.38. These are the paths that you can make. Another great number of paths you can do to evangelize, to convert in this world. This is a path that I use most frequently. 
You speak the tongue of Spanish. The truth is you don't have to speak the tongue of Spanish to go and preach or, or teach in Costa Rica. That's why we have interpreters. But what you do have is you have the information, you have the knowledge that you can take and share the gospel. Is the cost of evangelism in Costa Rica cost effective? The elders, hopefully again you'll know from my report, uh, that when I go to Costa Rica it roughly costs about $2,000 a person. You think, whoo, that's a bunch. Is it good stewardship? Luke 12, 42 through 48, Matthew 25, there in verse 14. I'm going to catch up on notes here just real quick. Make sure I haven't missed anything real quick here. Okay. I want to ask you this, though. What is the value of a soul? What did we do with the 99? We went and we looked for the lost one. We're going and we're looking for lost souls. Abraham would have this discussion with the Lord regarding the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he would ask, well, will you save it if there are this many souls, 50 or 40 or 30, and gets all the way down? God doesn't desire that any of us should perish. Understand that. So what does he do when the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah comes? He takes Lot, a righteous man, and his family out of Sodom and Gomorrah because he cares about them because a soul is value, valuable. Every soul is valuable and important to the Lord. Now, one might say again, though, but that doesn't really answer my question necessarily about cost-effectiveness of going to Costa Rica. If I go do a week-long gospel meeting, if Brad Harib, uh, won't use me, Brad Harib comes here and does a gospel meeting, it's $2,000 for the week. That's me to go into Costa Rica for a week or 10 days. In fact, most preachers, that's what you're going to find. It's going to cost them for a week. If I go, and I'm going to go this next uh, month and a half up to Vermilion, Ohio, I'm going to go for 10 days. No, I'm going to go for a week, excuse me, to, to evangelize up there, be part of a, a camp door knocking campaign. Typically, you're looking at, what, $70 to $100 a night each night. You're looking in the gas to get there. You're looking into food. Again, the costs are going to be relatively simple or, or similar for me teaching here in the United States as they are in Costa Rica. I'm to go ye. Now, I'll tell you what. I, get, I love teaching the gospel anywhere, sharing the gospel anywhere. Likely, when I go to Vermilion, Ohio, I'm not going to be doing two- and three-hour Bible studies each house. In Costa Rica, I can. Someday that may change. Maybe I have to go to another country, and I'm going to do it if I can. We go where the opportunity is. If we seek, we will find. Helpful tools when you go to Costa Rica. If you ever go, if you go on any mission trip, it's great to have a camera to take different pictures and, and have different ideas so we can share it with folks at home. Bring an extra Bible, certainly in Spanish. Uh, and I tell you what, most folks don't have their Bibles there. Catholic Church doesn't encourage reading the Bible, doesn't encourage you having a Bible. A number of homes, the Bible that I bring in Spanish is what we use because they just don't have one. That is a need that I have. I found a selection of Bibles that I can get for about $5 a piece, and I hope to take them next year to hand those out as I go. Smartphone, tablet, that'll have your Spanish translation. If you need to translate something and your interpreter's not there, good thing to take. Small backpack, carry water, great. Treat for the children. We took, we took Silly Putty one year. That is a great distractor. They don't have Silly Putty, evidently, very often down in Costa Rica. Very good thing to take. Uh, religious origins church. Really, you're a member of the Catholic Church. Let's look at when churches started. Oh, I didn't know that. They're shocked to find 
that they weren't the church that the Lord started in 33 AD. And a salvations list. That is a list. If you look up in, in the scriptures, all the things you're saved by. Some people say you're saved by faith. True. You're saved by confession. True. You're saved by baptism. True. But when you show people a long list of that, they're like, oh, no one ever told me that baptism was part of salvation. <laughs> scripture trees. I'm almost done here. Scripture trees. What a scripture tree is basically, if I'm going to talk about biblical authority, kind of like I showed you, I'll go to Matthew 28, 18 through 20, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, Jude 3, uh, James 1, 21, for a specific topic on authority. What if I wanted to go through baptism? Well, baptism, I'd probably go somewhere like Acts 2.38 and Mark 16.16 16 and Acts chapter 8, uh, Romans chapter 6 to demonstrate that baptism is a burial, which is wonderful when you talk, by the way, about infant baptism as the Catholics practice it because it's not a burial. And most folks go, oh, I get it. So you want to have with top topics like this, common topics, topics common in the United States, Topics comment in Costa Rica. You want to have a general idea before you get there of the direction you'll go if these, these pop up. Why do, I, why do I go to Costa Rica? Why do I evangelize? Why do I share the gospel? Of course, John 14, 15. If I love the Lord, I do his commandments. He told me to go ye. I love the Lord and I also love souls. I don't want to see anybody perish just like the Lord. You don't want to see anybody perish just like the Lord. I go to teach his word. Hebrews 11:6 speaks of a reward. If we diligently seek the Lord, there's a reward. I want that reward. 1 Thessalonians 2:19, Paul speaks of a crown. We're all going to receive a crown, and we think of this physical crown. Do you know what he says the crown there is? It's us. It's you and me. When the final day comes and we meet the Lord in the sky and we go to our heavenly home, imagine the joy when you see your mom or your dad or your grandmother or your neighbor or your friend, your brothers and sisters. That is the crown. I want to see you in heaven. I want to be there. I want you to be there. We want our neighbors in this community to be here. We want as many people as we can take with us to be there. That's why I evangelize. That's why I go to Costa Rica. Now, my, my objective is, is multi-pronged here. One, I, I wanted to let you know, since you engaged in this work with me in Costa Rica, that you were not able to be physically with me there. I know you were there with me in prayer and your hopes and your thoughts. You were there in your support. I wanted to share with you what I do, number one. Number two, I want to encourage younger folks. <laughs> I'm 50. My team, I think the youngest one of us is 40, maybe the lowest, 46. We're not old. Thanks. <laughs> okay, maybe some of them are old, not me. <laughs> but, but the reality is we need younger folks to fill the shoes. We need them to get out and do the work. We need them to show the interest. And, if I, and, and, and we need men and, and women to do that. 
And, and the final thing is, well, the final reason I go is I just love sharing the word. I just love sharing the word. I love meeting with my brothers and sisters wherever they may be. I'm encouraged by them. They're encouraged by us. I didn't really list that as a reason for the financial support, but imagine this. You go into a congregation there that's typically 25 people, and all week long, because of the efforts that you're doing, they are now 75 or 80 people every single night. Imagine the excitement. If you in this room could double or triple your size all week long, and when the Americans leave, you've got a list of people to follow up that may be 60 different households that you didn't have before. That's awesome. Yeah. Told Doug I would give you an invitation. We do this. This hasn't been a, uh, necessarily a, a lesson on, on how you are saved, but if you're not in the kingdom of the Lord, if you haven't come to him, if you have not been clothed in Christ, Christ through baptism, you're not part of that kingdom. And you're in your sins. And there is no, no way to describe the joy of getting rid of those sins and be able just to focus on glorifying the Lord and living up to the purpose that he has given to you, save to go through it, by being added through baptism to the church. If you're in that state where you know you want to be added, we're here for you tonight to get that done or to study with you so you can get that done. And if you're one of my brothers and sisters and you just need the prayers for anything, that's what we're here for. Doug says, don't forsake the assembly this morning. Exactly. Why? Because we're together to encourage, to comfort, to love, to help one another, to get through this world and to surround our lives with one another so none are left behind. That's what we're here for. The elders or Doug will assist you in that. If you would all stand, we'll sing a song of Selected, and you can come forward as to that invitation.